0: We've been talking about faith. I found out there's... When you start pursuing a subject or you start searching for something seriously with your heart, you will have an opportunity to use it. If you ever... if you det- Not if. When you determine to walk in love, you will have opportunities to grow you will find when you've determined, you know what, I'm going to do what the Word of God says, I'm going to walk in love. You will find every obnoxious person (laughs) is sent on assignment to test your conviction. And you determine you're going to walk in faith, you will have opportunities to exercise it. But you know, it's all in how you look at it. If you look at those challenges as opportunities to grow, You look at those challenges as opportunities to exercise your faith. Most of the things of the Bible you don't ever really learn. In fact, this is one of the things that I've been crying out. I said, God, I want to know you at another level. I want to know how real you are. I believe in you. I know you're there. I know you're here me. But I want to know you at another level of reality. I want to know you that is, you're as real to me as my, as my wife is when I reach out and touch her. You can grow to that place. I'm not there yet, but I want to come to that place. And, and But you don't learn that in a classroom. You learn that in living life. And that's, that means opportunities to get to know him better will come across your path. And this week has been an opportunity... To get to know Him better. Praise God. But the place you go to is His Word. The place you go to is His Word. So we've been talking about faith. We've been studying what faith is. And we're going to now begin to get into some application of that. So let's just go back. We start actually in, in Hebrews uh, thirty five. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, for it has a great reward. Say great reward a great reward. So all you got to do is not throw it away, and there's a reward attached to it. For you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Now, as we go through this study, you're going to discover that there's an order to things with God. What we like to do is we like to see something and then believe it. But we'll find out faith. You don't need faith You don't need to believe for something that you see. Faith works the other way around. You believe, then you see. That's why you've got to believe it. And so I used to have trouble with that until we are going to get to a scripture. Maybe not tonight that really settled that for me. You have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. But the just, those who have been made just or righteous, shall live by faith. Now we found out in the very first week we studied that, that, Rome, that, that, that um, Ephesians 2 verse 8 says that we are saved by faith, by grace, and it's received through faith. So it takes faith to receive salvation. And we learned that first week, it takes faith, what faith does is allows you to receive from God things He's already provided for you. Faith is our part. It's what allows us to receive. Grace is God's side. It's his disposition to give something to you you didn't deserve. So one of the things you've got to get out of your mind is earning something. And this can be very subtle because you can take the principles of faith and use those to earn things. One of the things I see where people get off track, and I've, I've done this myself, is you begin to develop faith in your faith. Yes, that's, true. that's not faith in God. And you begin to, you know, you'll hear a good teaching on, you know, you've got to do these three things or these five things in order to really operate in faith. And so what we do is we pull those five principles out and we do them like a checklist. Well, I did the first one. I did the second one. I have did three, four, and five. Now, where is my chocolate sundae? You know, where is what I'm asking God for? I've done what I'm supposed to do. Now, God, you do what you're supposed to do. And that means my trust is in what I've been doing. Whereas we'll get to the scripture in Mark eleven twenty two, where Jesus said, Have faith in God, not in your faith, not in your prayers, but faith in God and what God is like. And so we found out that we're saved, we receive our salvation by faith. You can't receive it any other way. But not only that, we've just seen in the verse before that those who've now been made just, we're to also continue on. We're to live by faith. So just because you've received your salvation by faith doesn't mean, thank you, I don't need that anymore. We are to continue to walk with Him and to live with Him by faith. And a few weeks ago, we began to see why that's so important, and that's what he goes on to explain in chapter 11. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, some of your translations will say, faith is the confidence, and there's two ways of looking at that word. But that word in Greek is hupostasis, which literally means to stand underneath. And we've studied before the root of that word is something that's present in, in, in a liquid that when you let it stand long enough, it begins to settle out and settle to the bottom. I found out as the, as, as the blessings of these spring rains have decided to bless my basement. <laughs> I found there were things in my basement rugs that I didn't know were there because they've come to the surface, all right? And so they were in there all along, but now they've come up to the surface. And that word hypostasis is referring to something that's substance that you couldn't see. And now with the process of settling out, or it, it, it now has become obvious. So it's, the word literally means a tangibility, something that we talked about that we, in order to believe something, we've got to have evidence of it. We've got to have something that gives us a reason to believe in it. There's no such thing as blind faith. You have to have faith in something. And we saw that what faith is, is because there's another realm of existence. It's the spirit realm. And that realm is more real than this natural realm. Everything in this natural realm was created or conceived, first of all, in that spirit realm. And God spoke it into existence. God is a spirit. That's why you can't see Him with your eyes or hear Him with your ears unless something supernatural happens. But in the normal natural occurrence of things, you cannot see Him. Your senses cannot detect Him. So how can we relate to a God that's real but we can't sense Him with our natural senses? Well, we do it with the sixth sense. That's what faith is for. So faith is something that allows us to have a confidence in this realm of something that exists in that realm as if we actually could sense it with our natural senses. So as if I could touch it. It it is to give you as much of an assurance that it's real as if you could literally reach out and touch it. You can reach out right now and touch that chair you're sitting in or the Bible. You know that Bible is real because you can touch it. So you have a confidence that there is a Bible in your lap or something that you're holding on to, that maybe it's an electronic device or something, but you're holding it. That's why you know it's there. Nobody can argue and say, you don't have a Bible in your lap. I know I do. I can see it. I can touch it. I can feel it. That gives me confidence because my senses confirm that it's there. Well, faith is what allows you to have that same level of confidence that something exists in the spirit realm that you cannot detect with your senses. So you can grow to a place where you are more confident that God exists than that that Bible exists that's in your hands. You can grow to that place where you're more confident because you have just as good evidence that God exists as you do that that Bible exists. The difference is the evidence that God exists is not something that your senses can detect. It's something that faith confirms for you. And so that's the purpose of faith, ultimately the purpose of faith. And then we went down and looked at several aspects of it. And where we finished up last time is we, actually we spent several weeks on it in verse 6. It says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Because in order to come to God, you have to believe two things. The first thing you have to believe is that He exists. And we spent a week or so on that and talked about, well, we all believe God exists. Yeah, but there's different levels of believing that. The the proof of what you really believe is what you do when you look in your basement and suddenly there's three feet of water. The, The proof of what you really believe about God is what you do when you get in an emergency. And so we can grow in that. And then the second thing we saw that you have to believe about God is not only that He's there for you, but also that he will respond to you in a favorable way because you can't see his face. You can't see whether he's smiling. And I think I shared with you, I don't know if I did well share with you this week. Uh, we were, there were five boys in our family. I was the oldest. And, and so I knew mom longer than anybody else. And mom ran our house. And that meant when it was time to get something from mom, I was appointed to go ask. And well, we were a mixed family because so she was my mother so I had known her all my life and, and my siblings hadn't. So uh, and they were, then they were younger. So I had figured her out. I knew when she was in a good mood and I knew I knew the right time to ask and I knew the wrong time to ask. And so I knew when to wait and I knew how to approach her because I had studied her. And so... I look at her when she came home and she was tired and maybe not in a good mood, and that was not the time to come to her. I believe that she was, but I wasn't convinced that she was a rewarder of my diligently asking her. And so because I wasn't sure she was going to reward my asking, I refrained from coming to her at that time. But I could tell that because I knew her moods. I could look at her face. I could see her demeanor. I could tell when she walked in the door, whether the, you know, by the look on her face, what kind of mood she was in. So I had an idea of whether to, whether to come to her or not to ask. But you can't see God's face. You can't see whether he's in a good mood today or not. You can't see whether he's smiling down at you saying, Oh, child, I just can't wait for you to come and ask for me. Or he's cross. Now, he doesn't get that way. But you can't tell that if you can't see his face. So we have to know something about God to give us confidence that not only is he there and listening, but that he's open and disposed to answering us the way we want him to. In other words, answering our prayer. Well, how can we know that about him? Well, you got to go to this. Understand why this book was given to us. This settled for me. You've got to understand that as a lawyer, I was trained to think critically. I was trained to read documents and find what was wrong with them and challenge them, even ones I had drafted myself. So my big challenge when I got saved and started reading this Bible is I was struggling because, and God had to show me, He said, son, you're reading it like a lawyer. You're trying to read it to find out what's wrong with it instead of believing that it's me speaking to you. And so when I made that adjustment, I found that the Bible began to fit together and make sense. And then I began to step back and just think about it. Wait a minute. If, if, if God wants to reveal himself to us and God wants us to know what he's like, then he's got to provide us with some way, some, uh, some means of understanding what he's like. And that's when I realized that's the purpose of this book. That's what gave me confidence in this book. God, if He is expecting us to relate to Him, if He's expecting us to come to Him, He's got to understand that we need help in understanding what He's like. Therefore, to be fair and just, He's got to give us the, a, a manual or something to explain to us what He wants us to know about Him. And that's what this book is all about. So I began to go through this book and look at this book to study what this book says about God and his disposition towards us. And there's so many scriptures, we're not going to take the time to go through them tonight. But scriptures, and we've talked about a number of them, Matthew chapter 7, where he says, ask and you'll receive. And we spent many weeks last year talking about the fact that God says in many places in this book, I want you to come to me and ask me. That it's God's idea that we come to him and ask him. So the first thing we see here when we are trying to develop confidence that not only that He exists, but He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, is He's the one that's told us to come and seek Him. Not only that, He's told us He won't trick us if He does. Because later on in Matthew, He says, if you being evil know how to give good good gifts to your children, and the example He says, if you come and ask your father for a loaf of bread, He's not going to give you a rock, is He? He's not going to play some trick on you then how much more will I give you as your Father what you ask? So we can have confidence that God is going to reward us when we come and ask Him. Because He says that. Now, here's where faith comes in. God says that, and my experience tell me I didn't get an answer. What am I going to believe? What He says... Or my experience. And this is where faith hits the road. You know the expression where rubber hits the road. This is where faith begins to become operative. And it's no longer something that you think about and get excited about sitting in a blue seat on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. It's when you're facing this situation and you begin to choose to operate in faith. That's when, and, but that's the necessary element for connecting to God over and over again. When people receive things from Jesus, not every time, but many times, Jesus' response to them is what? Be it done unto you according to your faith. With the centurion, he came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 8, and he said, my servant is lying home, grievously suffering of the palsy. And before he can open his mouth to ask, tell Jesus what he wanted him to do, Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. And the centurion says, no, no, that's not what I was going to ask you to do. Because I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but you just say the word here and my servant will be healed there. And then after an exchange with him and then with some people that were around him, Jesus turns to the centurion and said, your servant will be healed as to what you believed. In other words, you chose the method because that's what you believed would happen. Therefore, I will do it according to the path that you believed. This is a week when many of us are dealing with water. One of the things I've discovered about water is water will find whatever the opening is. I have a basement that's living proof of that right now. In 16 years of living there, we've never had water come in, but This week we've had water come in. It found a way where before there was no way. It will find the way. Wherever it is, the water will adjust to whatever it's got to do to get into where there's dry spaces. And the same is true of the power of God. So if you're believing God, like the woman with the issue of blood, she said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be well. And Jesus turned to her after she was healed, and he said, you were healed. It was according to your faith you've been made well. There's another verse later on in Matthew, and in one of the other accounts, it says that Jesus came among the people, and and they decided that if they touched his garment, they'd be male, and as many as touched him were healed. So Jesus didn't heal the way he decided to. He brought healing to them based on what they believed. Because it took their believing to receive it. So whatever they could believe, that's the way it came to them. Can you see that? So that shows you it's like the force of water. It wants to reach you. It just needs an opening. It just needs an opening. If you take water, well, that's why I've got water in my basement, because all the ground around me is saturated with it, apparently. And so there's pressure against my foundation to find a way in. I knew I'd make something good out of this this week. The pressure to make in that foundation to get in there, to get into that dry space. In the same way, the heart of God and the compassion of God is to meet your needs. But He's got to find some way to get that to you. Just because He wants to doesn't do it. He's got to find some opening that you give him so that he can bring his blessing, his healing, his answer to, in your life to you. See, yes. yes. so we have this image, I've got to talk God into healing me. I've got to talk God into meeting my needs. That's not what the scriptures teach. He's got to talk you into receiving it. He's already made up his mind. His will is expressed here. Well, I don't know what his will is. That's why you've got to take this book. I've been to a faith school, read faith books. But a number of years ago, I got into a situation where I needed a physical healing. And I didn't, all those faith books were wonderful. But there came a time when John had to sit down with John's Bible. And go through John's Bible and see it in John's Bible for John's self. And convince John that that was what God's will was for him. And once I did that, it settled it for me. But, you've, but the enemy will, will convince you, try to convince you, that you've got a need and have to talk God into meeting your need. And what, why would God meet your needs? You're such a worthless, lowly thing anyway. Well, why would he save such a worthless, lowly thing? Because you're worthless and lowly. <laughs> because it's his compassion. It's his nature. It's his heart. If he's dealing with us on the basis of how worthy we are, we're all gone. But that's not his heart. That's not his nature. He's benevolent. He's compassionate. He's loving. He's generous. I've been going through that verse, Mark eleven twenty two, 22, over the last week. Just meditating on it, where Jesus said, have faith in God. And thinking about, what does that mean? Well, what's God like? What am I to have faith in about God? Well, one of the things we know about God that he says about himself, he says in in Ephesians chapter 4, he will do exceeding, three, he will do exceeding abundantly beyond all that I ask or think. So I have faith in a God that will do exceeding abundantly beyond all that I ask or think. John 10.10, Jesus said about his his father, he says, I have come that you might have life and that life more abundantly. So I have faith in a God that has provided life and abundant life for me. Romans 8.32 said, He who spared not his own son, but delivered him from us for, up from us all, how will he not also together with him freely give us all things? So I look at Mark 11.22. that says, Have faith in God. What do I have faith in about my God? He, will do, he, will do, he, he who spared not his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. Then how will this God I have faith in, how will this God not also freely give me all things that he has? And there are many more you start reading those scriptures that way and it begins to change your image on the inside of you of God's heart and God's nature and God's character. John chapter 1 is in the beginning of the word, the logos. That word in Greek means the full expression of either a concept or of a person. When it's of a person, it's the full expression of their character, their nature, and their will. So in the beginning was a being that was the full, complete expression of God the Father's character, His nature, and His will. Verse 14 said that full expression of His character and nature and will took on flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, even as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the full expression of God in the heavens came down and took on flesh so we could see what God's heart is like. We could see what God's nature is like. We could see what God's will is like. So if you want to know what God's heart's like, His nature is like, and His will is like, all you've got to do is look at His heart, nature, and will in flesh when that flesh walked on this earth. And obviously that's Jesus. And what did He do? He removed suffering when he encountered it. He delivered people that Satan had bound up. There's only one record of a person that came to him and asked for healing that he said no to, and then when she pursued him, he said yes. There's no person in the Bible that asked Jesus to heal them or deliver them, that He did not do it. And He is the full expression of the Father's heart and nature and will. You say, yeah, but that was 2,000 years ago. Hebrews 13 says, and He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews chapter 10 says, we now have a new covenant that's built on better promises. then Jesus is not the full expression of the Father's will. That means that when he preached salvation, that may not be the full expression of his will. Well, of course it is. Have faith in God. Well, then what is this God like that I'm to have faith in? That's why you dig into the scriptures to find out what he's like. Study Jesus. What Jesus said about himself, I only do what my Father tells me to do. I only do what I see him doing. I only say what he tells me to say. said to Philip in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know what he's like. Because Philip said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, have I been with you this long and you don't realize? If you've seen me, you've seen him. When you saw me heal, you saw him heal. When you saw me deliver, You saw him deliver. When I rescued you in the storms, he was rescuing you in the storms. It's interesting because in the two chapters later, Jesus said, now the works that I've done, you go do. That my Father may be glorified in heaven. In other words, that they may see him in you and in me. But we have to be convinced, first of all, Turn with me now over to Second Corinthians chapter 4. That was kind of an aside. We're going to start in verse 16. Well... Let's go to verse 7. This is a Bible study. But we have this treasure talking about the glory of God in earthen vessels, talking about our own weaknesses, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. But we're hard pressed. He's talking about his own experience. On every side, and yet not crushed. We're perplexed, and yet not in despair. We're persecuted, and not forsaken. Struck down, and not destroyed. Always caring about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the, Lord, that the life of Christ, of Jesus, may be manifested in our body. For we who live, are always being delivered over to death, for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus, may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Now, Paul's talking about what his calling had cost him. But you don't hear somebody that's discouraged. I mean, he deals with discouragement, but he didn't quit. Verse 13, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I've spoken. So we also believe and therefore speak. So we'll see here that speaking has something to do with Believing. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise up with us up with Jesus and will present us with you for all things are for your sakes that grace may be having spread through the many may cause the thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Here's where I want to get to. Therefore, having gone through all that, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man, our physical body and what realm's that from this material realm even though our physical body this of this material realm is perishing the inward man what's that that's the spirit man what realm's that from that's from the spirit realm i taught you when we first started this that you are made up of two different realms of existence your physical body is of this natural material realm. That's why the Bible says that when you, that you, you came from the from the dust and you're going to return to the dust. Your physical body, you'll get a new one, but this body is going to go back into the dust, and that's what happens to it. But that's not who you are. That's just the suit you live in. That's, right. that's your earth suit. That's what allows you to operate in this in this world. Which is why God had to take one on. He had to put on an earth suit in order to walk among us. And that's a long story as to explain to you why, but we don't have time to go into that tonight. But the real you is the spirit man on the inside. And that's the part that Paul's now talking about. For the inward man is being renewed or strengthened day by day. For our the, Forgive me, I know this in the, in the NASB. So our momentary light affliction is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, Paul's talking about his focus here. What he's saying, I know what I've gone through. I know my body's been beaten. I know my body's been tired and worn out. I know my body has paid a price for what I'm called to do. But I also don't pay much attention to this thing. Because what I'm really focused on is the inward man. Because the outward man's perishing. It's getting older. It's wearing out. And you can make all the confessions you want, but it is getting older. (laughs) But the inward man is getting stronger and renewed day by day. That's the part of you that's part of the spirit realm. That's the part of you that was born again when you came to Christ. God put his nature in you. birth. that's what the part of you that is the child of God. Yep. Your spirit man, that's the real you. And he said, that part of me is being renewed or getting stronger day by day. Now here's his focus. For while we look not at the things that are seen, and we talked about that before, it sounds, you know, it sounds like he's saying, just close your eyes so you don't see the truck in front of you. That's not what he's talking about. While we look not at the thing, looking is referring to what you're focused on, paying attention to, and putting your trust in. It's not just what your eyes are seeing. It's what you're paying attention to, what you're focused on, what's governing you and guiding you in the decisions you make. So he says, what governs and guides me in my decisions and in my walk is not the things that are seen. The things that are seen refer to this natural material realm. So he says, when I'm evaluating things, I don't pay attention to what my five senses tell me. I think we mentioned this last week. There was a man, he's in Matthew, Mark chapter 5, he's also in Matthew. But in Mark's account, I remember right where that is. That's in Mark chapter 5. There's a man named Jairus who came to Jesus and said, My daughter is lying at home and she's dying, but I know that if you come and lay your hands on her, she'll live. Jesus said, I'll come on the way there. A woman with the issue of blood stops. She gets healed. Jesus ministers to her. And as she's getting ready to go, and I know we talked about this last week, as he's getting ready to go now on to Jairus' house, the servant comes and says, don't bother the master anymore. It's too late. Your daughter's dead. Can only begin to imagine how that word must have rung in his head. He had Jesus by the hand, the healer. His whole whether it was week or day, had been in search of this man because he couldn't track him down with Google. You know, he didn't have a GPS that he could track him down with. He had to go find out where he was, walk there. He got it. Not only did he find him, he's got his attention and Jesus said, I'll come. So his, his hopes has risen. This man's going to come and I know if he gets there in time and lays hands on her, she's going to live because he said that. So he's full of hope. And he's been patient while he watched Jesus minister to this woman that he had nothing to do with. And now Jesus has finished and now they're going to start and I'm sure he's getting a little impatient. And now they're just starting and the servant's coming up to him and he recognizes the servant and the look on his face is not good and the servant comes up to Jairus and says, I'm sorry, master, don't bother the the master anymore. the, the, The servant said, it's too late. The servant said, it's too late. The circumstances said, it's too late. Everything in their senses said, it's too late because she was dead. If they touched her body, it was cold. If they tried to hear her breath, there was no breath. All of their senses confirmed that their daughter was dead. And the servant said, it's too late. When the message comes to you through your senses, there will always be a thought that hits your mind to interpret that to you. Your senses are taking in information and your mind is designed in such a way that it tries to make meaning out of things. That's why with little kids, you know, they connect the dots thing. You know, we're always trying to connect the dots. Why did this happen? What did I do that caused this? Because we like to have meaning to understand things with our own mind because then we feel secure if we f- can figure it out. Of course, the Word of God says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, know Him, and He'll direct your path. But the human mind wants to make meaning to these things. So whatever occurs to you, whatever you hear a report you come home and, and, and you know it's 5 o'clock on a Friday and you hit your answering machine and your doctor's office calls and says, we'd like to see you Monday morning. Would you give us a call? No explanation. All you know is the doctor wants to talk to you. You don't know why, but what's going to happen? Your mind's going to try to figure out all weekend what that call's going to be about on Monday morning. And for some of us, we'll already have ourselves in the hospital hooked up to tubes before we know anything What's on the doctor maybe, maybe he wants to solicit you for the united way or something you don't know what it is but your mind is already trying to figure some meaning out interpret it to you and so this servant says it's too late your daughter's dead now it, was she dead that was a fact but the servants interpreting to Jairus what that fact means. You following me? It's a fact that she's dead, but he's drawing a conclusion from the fact that she's dead that it's too late, send Jesus home. And it's not an, an unreasonable conclusion because to everybody else that you could go to, it was too late. But he hadn't gone to just anybody, he'd gone to Jesus. Jesus' reaction to the news was very different than everybody else's. He turns around, and although it doesn't say so, I believe he grabbed Jairus. He certainly grabbed his attention. Jesus now interprets to Jairus what Jesus wants him to think about what he just heard. This is very important because this is where we live. We see something, we hear something, we hear a rumor, we see something on the news, and our mind interprets something to us. It gives us a message. You've got to identify that message, and then you've got to go to this message and find out what's God saying about it. I know what CNN says. I know what my doctor says. I know what my senses are telling me. But what does God say about it? Because God's perspective on things is very different than ours. You see, God can do anything. God can raise the dead, which is why when Jairus hears, or Jesus hears, that his daughter's dead, he doesn't panic. Why? Because he knows the God he represents raises the dead. So what does it matter she's dead? Because what Jairus is concluding, or tempted to conclude, is it's too late. See, that's the conclusion that the enemy wants you to have. Certainly she's dead. But what does that mean if she can be raised up? The only bad news is if something's happened that can't be changed. But when you're walking with Jesus, you're walking with someone that's not controlled by the circumstances. He walks over them. Why? Because God is a God that can raise the dead. We'll get into this in in, in Romans chapter 4, talking about Abraham's faith. It said, God had made a promise to Abraham. And Abraham knew that the one who made the promise to him is someone that can raise the dead. And beyond that, he can call something into existence that's never existed. Because it goes on and talks about the fact God had made a promise to him. That he would be the father of many nations when he was past childbearing age. And his wife was past childbearing age and was barren to boot. Three strikes against them. And yet God said. God said. God said. I don't care how old you are. God said. I said. You are going to be the father of many nations. It goes on and said, "In hope against hope he believed. According to that which was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated not his own body, which is a which hundred years old, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. In other words, he didn't pay attention to the fact that the circumstances told him it was too late. No way, Abe, is this going to happen. Imagine every time he looked in a mirror, whatever they looked at. His face still looks withered. His body looks the same before God said anything. And in fact, 24 years passed. Still no child. Both of them have laughed at God. And other signs that they didn't believe Him. Like producing their own child without God's promise. And God made clear, no, 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 no. You're not going to help me out. It's going to only happen one way. I've made a promise and you believe it. That's it. Not I made a promise and you figured some way to carry it out. That's not what I'm going to honor. That was Ishmael. There's only one way we're going to do this. My way. And my way is I made a promise to you that's impossible for you to do. And all I'm wanting you to do is take me at my word. Believe me. But it dawned on Abraham that the one who would made the promise can raise the dead, including his dead body. And can call into existence things that never existed. See, he learned to put his faith in God, but he also learned who this God was he put his faith in. And, and and so it says, and, and, and I'm got to go back into the verse. In hope against hope, he believed, and without becoming weak in faith, he considered not his own body, being 100 years old, nor the deadest of Sarah's room. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he grew strong in faith, being fully persuaded. What was he fully persuaded about? That what God had promised, he was well able to perform. It dawned on me one day meditating with that. Abraham's faced with evidence that tells him this cannot happen. His own body, screaming at him. And then he looks at Sarah. (laughs) Not only that, she's never been able to conceive. And she's going to do it now? So the evidence that their senses get is they're shriveled up. The evidence they have is they're too old. Not only do they know they're too old, but everybody else their age is barren. So there's no evidence to come in through their natural senses to confirm what God has said. In fact, the evidence that comes through their senses tells them just the opposite. And it dawned on me one day meditating on that. And it must have been what dawned and Abraham. When the one who promised me that we were going to conceive because he said so is also someone that can raise the dead with his words and call things into existence that has never existed before, what in the world do the circumstances have to do with it? It's not as if God needs something from my body to produce this child. There's nothing that in the natural God's going to rely on and looks at and says, Oh my goodness, they're too old. I, I forgot about that. We'll have to do something about that. See, God was not limited by the conditions of their body. Why? Because He can create things just with words. Jesus exhibited that time and time again, but one of the greatest examples is the time he said, Let's get in the boat and go to the other side. I've preached this story so many times, but I'll preach it again because it makes me happy. This is what the God is we have faith in. He told him to go to the other side. He went to the back of the boat and went to sleep. The fisherman, I mean, the carpenter. A terrible storm comes up so that these fishermen who are professional sailors are panicked and they think they're going to sink. So when they finally get to the point where they don't care whether they're embarrassed or not, they go in the back of the boat and wake the master up. And you can tell what's in their heart because there's fear, because they challenge his character, because they wake him up and say, don't, do you, don't you care about us that you brought us out here to die? And Jesus rebuked them. said, oh, ye of little faith. And goes to the bow of the boat and just speaks to the storm and it's quiet. Now I was thinking about that one day. Why was he asleep in the middle of that storm? And then it dawned on me. He wasn't concerned that the boat would go down. Because when you can walk on water, you don't need the boat. No, I'm serious. See, he didn't think in natural terms. He thought in terms of what his God was capable of doing why he was never anxious. He walked in such communion and faith in God that he knew his God would come through every time and provide everything he needed. So if that boat went down, he'd, he'd walk. So that's why he could sleep. See, he didn't sleep. He didn't, his trust wasn't in the boat. The boat was just a means God was using to get him to the other side. But if the boat went down, he'd just have to walk. God didn't need Abraham's body and Sarah's body to produce this child. He didn't need him to be strong and virile. Because God just said it. So when Paul says we look not at the things that are seen, we don't trust in and rely upon and put our confidence in and, 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 and decide what we can do or not do based on what our senses tell us from the evidence that's coming at us. We look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. So what is it we pay attention to? The things that are not seen are the spirit realm, are what God has said. So Paul's whole focus of his whole life was not on what was happening to him in the natural. He was aware that he was in a Philippi jail. He was aware that his feet were in stocks, but it didn't move him because his confidence was not in in his physical being. His confidence was not... He knew that God could use him no matter where he was, and if God wanted to break those chains, God could break those chains, and in fact, God did. It's the focus that we have to have that Paul had. He looked not, he paid attention not. It doesn't mean he drove down the road like this. That meant he did not evaluate what was going on in his life. He didn't evaluate anything about God. He didn't evaluate what could happen to him based on what his senses told him. But he evaluated everything in terms of what God said he would do. So when the medical report says there's nothing we can do and God says by His stripes you're healed and the medical report's not lying just like the boat really was in a storm just like Abraham really was hundred years old and Sarah really was barren. But why do those circumstances limit what God can do when the God who said, made that promise to you, can raise the dead. And can call things into existence that have never existed before. Now you know when Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty two, have faith in God. What he was talking about. He wasn't just saying some concept out there. He was saying, know this God that I'm telling you to put your faith in. Know what he'll do. Know what he can do. And renewing our mind is the process of beginning to learn to look at circumstances and situations the way God looks at them. Next week, I'll tell you about some situations that I've gotten into where it... There was no possible way to get out. And when I released it and said, God, I can't do this. You're going to have to solve this. The answer turned up like that in ways I never would have dreamed and delivered me. There's there's at least two cases that God won for me in that situation in the middle of a courtroom hearing. Situation at an airport once and other situations where when I was faced with evidence that told me it's over, it's too late, and I just said, I don't care what the evidence tells me. I know, God, you've told me what you'll do. Therefore, I'm not going to pay attention to the evidence. I'm going to put my eyes on you. for I'm going to expect what you said to come about and not what the evidence is telling me. That's when you release your faith and God can begin to work. Because it says he'll do exceeding abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think. So you've got to come to the end of what you can ask or think before God begins to do what he does.